Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, my co-host Matt is here with me. Matt, it is a very special time in the NFL calendar. We are in our last week of NFL relevance, the Super Bowl this Sunday between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. A joyous event, a a monumentous event, but also a little bit of a sad event because we know football season's final hurrah is coming up here. And after that, we'll have nothing but the draft free agency craziness of the offseason to look forward to nothing but hope and speculation rather than actual results come the fall but we got some stuff to talk about before we can get into our plans for the offseason following the end of this 2023 season going into 2024 and that is the Jets owner Mr. Woody Johnson for some unforeseen or or unknown reason uh, was given access to reporters and for lack of a better outlet a microphone whether directly or otherwise to voice some of his opinions on not only this past season for the New York Jets, but also their situation going into next year. And a couple of comments in in particular kind of made the rounds. Uh, Brian Costello with New York Post being the main one uh, attributed to these quotes to get them from Woody. First and foremost, talking about going into this next season with the regime at GM and head coach they have and Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. Um, Woody's words were, and these are all direct quotes from Costello, I'm not a playoff mandate guy, but we have to do better than seven wins. A fair statement, but definitely weird to hear an owner say out loud at a public event. Even weirder was when talking about the situation of losing Aaron Rodgers and the Jets planned for what they were going to do post Rodgers injury. Direct quote from Woody Johnson. We didn't have a backup quarterback. We need a backup quarterback. Assuming going into this next year. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, Zach Wilson's still under contract with the New York Jets, right? That he is. Yes. And Uh, it's kind of wild for an owner to be saying that about a player currently under contract on his team that they, and he was a part of drafting second overall two years ago. Not just that, but it sounds like they all have, uh, you know, desires and aspirations of trading Zach Wilson. So to not even consider him as a backup quarterback. I feel like it diminishes his value a little bit to the league. I would say more than a little bit. I mean, this <laughs> this guy's lot, had actually. more exposure to Zach Wilson over the last three years than anybody not named Robert Sala or Joe Douglas for the most part. And to have Woody's opinion of we didn't have a backup quarterback to say that it, exactly like you said, to say that Zach is so bad that he isn't even backup caliber that they had no shot of coming in to to be a, a a decent backup quarterback, despite the fact that this was a plan that everybody seemed committed to and on board with for months and months and months from the spring through the summer and onward. D- d- I didn't think there was any amount of urgency or really thought from this regime or front office to go after that true backup quarterback and give Zach that reset year that they said he was supposed to be getting. I mean, they got Tim Boyle to be QB three. They added to the room and they added somebody that very, very clearly wasn't going to be competition for Zach to be the backup or any sort of uh, argument there. And I've seen a lot of people go over and we went over this last week over the idea that Woody is, was too cheap to go and pay for a backup quarterback. And that's why they didn't get one. It seems, as I laid out last week, it seems highly unlikely to me that that was the problem. And I think 
now him coming out and saying this is, in my opinion, proof that that wasn't the case. Maybe I'm drinking the Woody Kool-Aid. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'll be the first to admit it if that ends up being true. But I, I just don't think it was a money issue that limited this being the decision. I think this was a decision from all of them to think that Aaron Rodgers is is impervious and nothing bad is going to happen to him. So we don't need to invest that much and we'll give Zach Wilson the reset year and everybody was on board with the play. Yep, that's what it sounds like. 2023 was already a wasted year. They just wanted to get through it, not spend any more money than they have to, uh, and you know, just move on to 2024. Uh, the only thing I can maybe think that what he was saying about Zach is that he wasn't he shouldn't have been the backup quarterback. That he should have always had that redshirt year where he got to sit, and by forcing him to be the backup it was forcing him into a position that they didn't want him to be in. So maybe it's not that he can't be a backup quarterback at some point, but that he wasn't, he shouldn't have been this year. No, I don't disagree. And and I think there's nuance, <clears throat> nuance lost uh, in this whole conversation. But at the same time, I, I think it's, it's tone deaf for lack of a better phrase for Woody to be saying something that, inflammatory um, at a major event at NFL honors that a few nights before the Super Bowl where they're going to announce the award winners through the year um, at multi gigantic gathering of NFL stars, reporters, stars from other sports, from other medias, entertainments, et cetera, et cetera, at quite a large event in event in Vegas of all places. So if, if there's ever a place for all eyes in the world to be on whatever you're going to say, it's this event. And to say something that blatant is not a good look whatsoever. Um, we've already had questions about Woody's ability to to lead this team as the owner and make sound decisions. And while I certainly am on the side of the fence that think that a lot gets attributed towards him, that is kind of scapegoating for other people. And their mistakes, there's definitely plenty that Woody does himself that makes things more difficult, and this is absolutely one of them. Oh, absolutely. But in the end, the buck stops at him, right? So even yeah, if right. it's uh, things attributed to other people, it's still under his purview. Uh, so in the end, it's all a reflection on him. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is. Moving forward, moving right along, we can pretend Woody Johnson's not in the uh, equation. Uh, for the next little bit of time, next hour or so, while we go through our dream off seasons, best, most within realm of, uh, still within a realm of possibility, the best possible off seasons the Jets can have, free agency and the draft, re-signings, et cetera, in our humble opinions. Uh, Matt, I'm going to toss it to you first. I want you to go through uh, a lot of what we have in a lot of ways is very similar. And so we can cover the the topics that we both agree on and we both have as part of our independent uh our independent conclusions here. And then after that, we can get to where we differ and kind of how we each made this our own a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So based for the first, uh, uh, area of, of where we attack, uh, we just looked at who we're going to let walk. That's a free agent. Uh, and we mostly had the same group, uh, Whitehead, Cobb, Woods, uh, Turner, all Simeon, Becton, uh, Brown and Lawson. Uh, I think we all we both have as letting them walk. Uh, yep. And then there's a whole bunch of uh, practice squad guys that 
uh, are also free agents, but I, I don't think we need to mention them. That we have the the main guys here. Uh, the only difference is Connor McGovern. You have us bringing him back, um, and then we went to who's going to be cut. Uh, we both had Uzama and Lakin being cut. Uh, the eight million and thirteen million saved respectively. Uh, if we cut them post June first, I believe. Um, then if you move to restructures, uh, I have a Quinn, uh, a Quinn and Williams restructure, which would save us about ten point six million. A JFM restructure uh, that's about nine point two million, and I have a Conklin uh, a restructure, which would throw in another three point eight million. Um, you might be a little different, but that's kind of where we're we're at with restructures, cuts, and, and walks. Um, and then the as far as trades, I think we yeah we did we both traded Zach and we both traded Huff. Uh, they're a little bit different with the uh, with the the value that we've got, but we both traded those guys. So the basic principles there, um, but it will affect how we drafted. Um, and then when you go to the free agent signings, uh, we mostly had different groups, uh, but we did have two guys that are similar. Uh, and that is uh, Grosmitos as Edge, who I had uh, at a valuation as uh, $3.3 million, uh, for 2024. And we both had Tyrone Smith uh, for about $13.2 million. Uh, and that's kind of where the similarities ended and we kind of went our separate ways when it came to our dream off seasons um so if I, i'm just gonna jump right in to, to yeah go for it what i had that's uh different i think um so i'll start with uh where we start saving money so i saw that if we uh restructured reed that it could save us seven million uh although he is a free agent after this year. So I don't know how that works with a restructure. Uh, so I would just think about extending him, just uh, turning those void years into actual years. Uh, and we can definitely work it so that we're saving some money on the front end. Uh, and then just going by over the caps numbers, that could save us about $7 million. Um, so all in total, if you total up all the, the, the cap saved from the cuts, the restructures, um, and the extensions, and even the trades, uh, including Zach, which would save us about $5.4 million. That would give us around $57 million in a cap to work with. Not bad. Not, not By far not the, the best in the league, but it's a sizable amount that would allow us to, to do a good amount of damage. Then, we just got to move on to who are we bringing back from our free agent list that these are the guys that we deemed to be respectable enough to, to make this 53-man roster in 2024. Uh, we both had uh, Clark, the safety, who uh, went on the injury reserve very early in the season, and we never really got to see him. Um, we uh, both saw him as kind of uh, a reliable guy at safety, and it, it kind of sucks that he, we never really got to see him be that guy for us. Uh, and uh, ironically enough, he's kind of been an Iron Man and, until he came to the Jets. Seems to be uh, a, a going trend. 
a familiar trend. Uh, we both uh, brought back Ashton Davis. Uh, so our safety room is going to look mostly the same. Then along the defensive line, we both uh, brought back uh, Jefferson and Solomon Thomas. Uh, I think that they kind of found a nice groove uh, in our rotation as far as being reliable backup. Uh, and Jefferson, even a reliable starter in past situations. Uh, so a little bit of stability along the defensive line for both of us. We both brought back both of our special team studs with uh, Zerline and Morstead. Um, and all of this should probably set us back uh, about $11.8 million. Uh, now, you had uh, Connor McGovern also. I'll let you explain why you brought him back uh, when, when, when you're up. But, mm-hmm. uh, so that'll change your uh, amount. But, uh, so after that, that would leave us with about $45.2 million for free agency. I said Tyrone Smith before, and uh, Yuri Grossmatos. Uh, so the only other guys that I brought in were Cornelius Lucas, who was a swing tackle for the Redskins last year. Oh, Redskins! Whoa, just went back to the past to <laughs> the Commanders. All right, Woody, calm down. <laughs> uh, and I feel like he is a suitable swing tackle that could start for us if asked to, uh, but maybe just be our backup swing, our reliable guy that we can turn to if there is an injury along the, the, the offensive line. Um, and then we went back to Woody. He said, we need a backup quarterback. That's exactly what I got. We heard Sam Darnold recently saying how he always wanted to take the Jets to the Super Bowl. Well, you know what? That doesn't sound like a guy that that really hates being that hated being here, or that uh, would really turn down the opportunity if it came knocking at his door again. So I brought Sam Darnold back for about one point nine million. Uh, Lucas, uh, who I just mentioned before, about one point two million. Uh, so then moving on to uh, running back, I want a, a nice veteran presence. Uh, to kind of sit behind Hall and uh, maybe in front of, of of Ziggy as well, if Ziggy doesn't uh, kind of grow a little bit. Uh, and that's J.K. Dobbins. I think his running style would be a nice complement to what we have. He's had a rough go of it with injuries, uh, so it's a risk, of course. Uh, but you know what? If for one point two million. Uh, he would be a very cheap and could possibly be a huge boom if that if he could stay healthy. Um, and then I moved to the defensive line, and I brought in Grover Stewart because the, the two guys I mentioned before, Solomon Thomas and, and Jefferson, they're guys that are going to rotate in mostly on passing downs, uh, and they'll do fine in that role. Uh, but we really lost something when we lost Woods for the season. Uh, he was our big run stuffer in the middle. Uh, we know that Quinnen is going to be a monster at, at pass rush and run defense, but he needs somebody next to him that can be his equal uh, when it comes to run defense. Uh, and Grover Stewart, uh, from uh, who played on Indy in, in 2023, 
was probably one of the better run stoppers in the league. Um, so I can, and he's a little bit, and he's actually well, not a little bit. He's a lot younger than than Woods was. Uh, so we can maybe even add some more years to a contract with him. Uh, I have him at a cap hit around three point five million. So then we got to turn to wide receiver, and I don't think we're going to have enough money left to really go after a bigger name. So I want somebody that's reliable. And besides the last playoff game, Josh Reynolds has been a very reliable target uh, for Goff and the Detroit Lions. And I think he is more than suitable to be a solid number two wide receiver uh, and to really kind of just hold that spot down, uh, not counting whatever we do in the draft. Uh, so having him step right in uh, would automatically bring a little bit more stability to that wide receiver room. Next, I want to kind of shore up uh, the inside of our offensive line. So I got Graham Glasgow from Detroit Lions dipping into that lion pool again. Uh, he's got experience at left guard. He's got experience at center. He's got experience at right guard. So he can play every position on the inside. Uh, and we saw him in the, in the playoffs. He's just a monster. He, he was hurt, and he still went out there and, and plowed people over and was really effective on the field. Uh, I would love to have him along our offensive line and replace Lakin, who was a huge disappointment. Uh, if you have him, uh, Tipman, and AVT, I think that's a very formidable inside. So that's it for free agent signings for me. Uh, uh, not too many, not too, not a, not too few. Uh, and I spent about thirty-nine million on all of them, leaving us with about six point two million uh, after that, which I think we should probably hold on to because you never know what's going to happen in the middle of the season. Uh, if we need to make a trade, if we're actually making a playoff push and really going all in, then we, we're going to need some money left over to, to really just sit on and for that moment when we need it. And then we moved on to the draft. So with all those trades uh, with uh, Zach Wilson and Huff, I had Zach Wilson going to the Eagles uh, for their 137th pick in the fourth round? I want to say that is the fourth round. Uh, and then they were, give, we're getting that for Zach and our three comp picks. Or sorry, two comp picks. 252 and 253. Uh, for Huff, uh, I just have a, doing a straight up one-on-one trade with the Vikings. Uh, we get the 42nd pick and they just get Huff with, that we would have to tag and trade. Um, so that would give us our sec- a second round pick back and give us the complement of uh, the 10th pick, the, the 42nd pick, uh, the 72nd pick, the 111th pick, the 113th pick, uh, 256th pick, and yeah, that's about it. And then in the draft, I had us trading down uh, with Jacksonville for the 17th pick, and uh, we get the 17th pick, the 48th pick, 
and a 2025 uh, fourth round pick. So that adds the the 48th pick and the 17th pick to our to our uh, total there. Uh, so starting the draft with that trade down, I had us taking J.C. Latham. Uh, I hope he's still around uh, at 17, and he can shore up the the offensive line, giving us Tyrone Smith, Graham Glasgow, Tipman, AVT, and Latham as our starting offensive line. That's a lot of beef. That's a lot of very formidable guys that I think would do wonders for Hall, would do wonders for Rodgers, or anybody playing quarterback uh, if Rodgers is to go down. In the second round, with the 42nd and 48th pick, I, I decided to double dick, double dip here in, uh, in wide receiver. We got Troy Franklin out of Oregon at the 42nd pick, and Ricky Pearsall from Florida with the 48th pick. Uh, so we've got we got a, a, a tried and true outside guy with Troy Franklin, uh, who's very very fast, who's very efficient out of his breaks. Uh, I think he's only one of three wide receivers that top 22 miles per hour during the season. Uh, so adding some speed to this uh, to this wide receiver room, uh, which can only help, and the fact that he's pretty efficient as a route runner uh, won't hurt either. Pearsall is another guy that I really like uh, out of Florida who will probably step right in to be a, a, a solid slot guy. Um, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's got extremely uh, fast burst uh, out of his cuts and uh, out of his breaks. He's very hard to to stay with when it comes to man coverage, and he likes to to, to sit in the end zone too. He finds those spots, and he'll pick you apart. Uh, he'll be a nice little safety net for whoever our quarterback. Yeah, his hands are incredible, and his hands are incredible. Let's see, do I? I might have uh, his. Uh, you know what I don't. Uh, but his hands are very reliable, and uh, his ability to concentrate too is very impressive. Uh, and match that with his explosiveness, his smoothness in and out of breaks, um, and his ability to high point too. He's only six one, so he's not like the shortest guy in the world, but he's not he's not the biggest guy either. He's he's got a very slender frame, uh, but he's able to get up there and really pick the ball out of the air. Uh, he he had a, a nice circus catch uh, during this season that a, a lot of people. Uh, saw and, and and were wowed by. Um, so between those two wide receivers and Reynolds, I think we have a nice starting four uh, wide receivers that can make a difference. And then we'll have Lazard uh, and Gibson and uh, Irv Charles behind them. Brownlee maybe can uh, get another year on the practice squad. Move right along. To the third round, I have us getting Christian Haynes out of Connecticut. Uh, he was very impressive at the Senior Bowl. He's uh, on the shorter side, but he is a he's a formidable guy. He, he's uh, he's very good at anchoring. He's got natural leverage. Uh, he will get lots of push in in the run game. He's just a solid guy, and I can see him uh, stepping in. Day one for a team and being a starter, 
But for us, he doesn't need to be that. I could see him hanging around and being our maybe eventual replacement for AVT in the future if we don't bring him back once his contract expires. Uh, so having some stability there on the inside uh, can only help. Uh, and he would definitely add that. Moving right along to the 111th pick, I have Ben, ben Sinnott from Kansas State, uh, the tight end. Uh, he's a nice, well-rounded tight end uh, that can do it all. Block, route run, receive, reliable hands. He's got it all. He's not going to really blow you away in any one thing, but he does it all very well. A nice, well-rounded prospect that would fit right in to our tight end room uh, and you know, add a little bit of depth there now that we lost the Uzama. Moving right along to the 113th pick. I get possibly our future quarterback. Uh, when was the last time we had the opportunity to have a quarterback sit behind a nice veteran and just let him soak it all up? I think it was, what, Pennington and, and Testaverde? Uh, well, probably. I would say uh, Rodgers is quite a bit better than uh, Testaverde. So... Jordan Travis having that time to sit behind Rodgers, I think, is is really valuable and would only do wonders. And he's got a lot going for him. Uh, the only way he makes it this far is because of that injury that he had late in the season. Uh, so that's going to affect how teams evaluate him in the process. Probably not going to be ready for the combine uh, or pro days. So it's really just going to be him coming back by the training camp and really showing out then. And that might scare a few teams and cause them to drop to the fourth round. Next, we got the 186 pick. Uh, I see uh, cornerback being uh, a need that we're going to have to address now because next year we have uh, both Eccles and Carter as free agents. We do extend Reed in my scenario. Uh, so Sauce and Reed are, are locked up. Uh, but behind them, our depth and our big slot guy is kind of is, is might disappear. So in our defense, it usually takes a year to get the defense under under your belt and to really you know find a, a nice groove. Uh, so I take I took uh, Dwight McLaughlin out of Arkansas. Uh, he's a guy that, that really impressed me. Uh, he's got a, a nice uh, slender frame, and he's got very good quick uh, foot speed and uh, hip flexibility uh, and just uh, able to crash on the ball and be very physical. Uh, I like him a lot, and I can see him developing uh, behind this uh, these great starting quarterbacks and can maybe be that next guy that we can rely on going forward. With the last pick, uh, the 256 pick, I have Michael Jurgens out of Wake Forest. He's played both left guard and center. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of people talk about him, He's, but he jumped off the tape when, when I watched him. He's got a, a lot of great mobility. Uh, he's, I, think he, I, I do believe he's got a wrestling background, and that shows up. You can see how he uh, uses leverage how he's able to turn uh, defenders easily. 
uh, and just be a nice dominant force up front. Uh, and as far as depth, I think that would be uh, a very good piece to add. And that's it. That's my draft. That's my free agency. Uh, that's uh, all the other moves all together uh, to make a nice, healthy team. Uh, I think all around. Uh, there isn't really Definitely. a position group that's that's being neglected. Uh, we have our quarter backup quarterback, so that will please Woody, and maybe our future quarterback. We have a solid offensive line with Smith, Latham, Cornelius Lucas, Carter Warren, uh, kind of heading the, the 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 tackle group, and then you got Tucker, uh, AVT, Glasgow, Christian Haynes for uh, as guards. Uh, then we have Tippmann and Schweitzer and Michael Jurgens, who can kind of be, uh, they can all be play any position on the inside, uh, but I have them uh, as uh, good center backups. And then the wide receiver room of Garrett Wilson, Josh Reynolds, Roy Franklin, Ricky Parasol, Xavier Gibson, and Alan Lazard. Uh, even Lazard could offer some value if Rodgers can stay healthy. Uh, if not, then he'll be relegated to the back of the the bench. Uh, the tight end room would be Conklin, Ben Sinnott, and Jeremy Rucker. The running back room would be Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins, Ziggy, and Nick Bowden at fullback. Our edge group would be J.J., J.F.M., Yuri Grossmitos, Will McDonald, and Michael Clemens. Uh, we do lose Huff, but hopefully Will McDonald makes that leap. Maybe Jermaine Johnson takes even another leap and goes from very good edge rusher to maybe a great edge rusher. And Franklin Myers has always been pretty reliable. Uh, so I can see all that entire group still being formidable, even without Huff. Uh, on the interior, we have Quentin Williams and Grover Stewart being our stalwart up front. And then Quentin Jefferson and Solomon Thomas uh, really uh, solidifying that group behind them. Um, and then you got T.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, Damian Sherwood, and Zaire Barnes in, as linebackers. Uh, that group has shown that they could be solid also. And as long as T.J. and Quincy stay healthy, they're probably not leaving the field that often. Uh, and I feel like Sherwood has shown a good amount so far uh, when he's come in. The, there's definitely been some growth there. Uh, Zaire Barnes, hopefully we see a little bit more of him and see some growth out of him. Cornerback group, we would have Gardner, Reed, Carter, Eccles, McLeathern, and Hardy. Safeties, we have Tony Adams, Chuck Clark, Ashton Davis, and Jared Bernard Converse, who I can see uh, making a switch to safety. And that's it. Oh, well, and then got special teams, Morstead, Zerline, and Hennessy, of course. Uh, that's, uh, I feel like that's a solid group. I, there's, I, I don't see many weaknesses there. Uh, there's definitely some groups that aren't amazing. They don't have stars, but there's enough talent there to win a lot of games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, completely and totally agree. Um, from where this roster is, as you just laid out, where you have it compared to what it was the end of the season, that is a, a quite a big improvement for a team that really doesn't have a lot of ammo to work with. I mean, we're so used to the past couple of years of the Jets just having a ton of cap space and draft picks from the Jamal Adams trade and other trades they would make. And 
they would just have all of this availability in the offseason to make a bunch of moves. And this is just not the case this year where they're going to have to create cap space rather than just having it to start with. They're down draft picks rather than having a surplus. You're like going to have to find creative ways to navigate to turn this roster around the way you did. I really think you did a really good job, Matt. Um, two things I want to go over that you had different from what I had. First and foremost, I love the Grover Stewart signing. Uh, that is that is an awesome, awesome addition that I did not personally have, but definitely would be all for 110%. Uh, Grover's a guy that's been overlooked a lot in Indianapolis, but he's been one of the best players on their defensive line for a couple of years now. Uh, he's played in a similar scheme. It's an attack front where he's used to getting upfield, but he's plenty stout. He plays the run great. He holds his ground. He tracks the ball well, doesn't get caught with misdirection, um, and has that little bit of juice as a pass rusher. I think given this scheme where he could let himself go a little bit more as a pass rusher um, while keeping that that run-stopping element, I mean, that would be that would be awesome. I think he would be fantastic next to Quinnen. You have two guys that can both play nose or three-tech and that allows Solid and Ulbrich to get real creative with the fronts they want to run. Um, love, 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 love that addition. I cannot, cannot love that even more. I Rover Stewart's in New York next year at three and a half million a year, uh, no less than sign me up. That's a that's a massive win. Secondly, um, extending G- DJ Reed needs to happen. Like, like that is that is something that is such a, a smart plan. That is what a good team would do in this situation where not only are you keeping a player who has are, has really has played up to, if not exceeded your expectations as an outside free agent, where you signed him and gave him one of the best corners in the league type of money. And all he's been since he's gotten to New York these first two years is one of the best corners in the league. And the team loves him. The culture is a huge, you know, a huge part. He's a leader on the team. He has a great relationship and, and understanding with Sauce and the rest of the safeties that we expect to be around for a little bit. There's a a really really good situation that they have in their cornerback room and in their secondary room that I think you lose a bit of when you lose DJ Reed. And if you give him the opportunity to play to the open market, he's going to get another open market deal. So I think you can you can get him in the fold. You can get him to still a good payday by no means trying to you know skimp DJ Reed on nothing else. But I think you can really get him somebody that's on board to what you're building, to what you're trying to to make your team look like and has been someone that was handpicked to really do that for the defense. And he's done nothing that nothing but that to top it all off. You save money this year. Like that's the the icing on the cake for me is that not only is extending DJ Reed smart just in general, but it also gives you that ability to take those void years that you would be adding on a contract and a restructure and just pushing them towards an actual extension to where you know a guy's going to be on your team. I I would be all for extending DJ Reed. It should happen this offseason. Now it's not even something I want to happen. It's something that outright should happen. It really should. It, it doesn't make any sense to let a talent like his leave. Uh, and we've seen how formidable him and Sauce can be, that group, and just throw in a pass rush with that. And that's the reason why our defense was so good this year. Uh, so you're going to have to keep that together if you want to keep that defense at, in 
the top uh, top of the league. Yeah, no, I I really think that would be a I think that would be a great idea. I, I really do. Moving along to uh to my situation here, we'll start with um from order of how things happen. Uh, we had basically the exact same um, walks in terms of extending uh, expiring contracts that we are not looking to bring back. Um, when it got to cuts, we had the same cuts there with Uzama and Lakin. Restructures, we were the same. Um, trades, the same in terms of who was traded, but not so much where what they were traded for. We'll get to that in a minute. First and foremost, re-signings. The one re-signing we differed on, I had Connor McGovern coming back for about $1.2 million on a one-year deal. Um, and here's my reasoning for this. Connor McGovern as your backup center is a lot better than Connor McGovern as your starter. Connor McGovern at $1.2 million as your backup center is somebody that has played a lot of football, started a lot of games, has not been by any means great, but I would certainly say has had moments and stretches of being serviceable. Um, somebody that knows your offense, which I also think is important. And somebody that I would feel comfortable if Tipman were to miss time for any amount of reason, and we saw Tipman miss some time as a rookie, that I would feel comfortable coming in and being able to hold down the fort for a game, two games, three games, whatever it might be, to where you don't really have to worry about subbing in somebody in that center position that's going to struggle with all of the checks Roger's going to want to make, all of the protection slides that he's going to want to call for all of the different plays that you're going to have to know on terms of the offense to know what Rodgers might audible to. And having somebody in that backup role that you don't have to worry about that, I think is really important. On top of that, and I'm going to call a spade a spade, someone has to teach Joe Tittman how to snap a football. <laughs> so you might as well have somebody in McGovern that's done it for a long time in the league in different offenses and can just work with Tittman on the finer points of being a center. Tenor, Tittman, in terms of playing offensive line, excellent. When he's at guard, he looks incredible, and he's looked really good at center, too, but the one thing he's really struggled with is that snap, and it's because he played at Wisconsin, where all they did was run the ball under center, so sh- snapping at a shotgun isn't something he had a lot of experience with. I think having someone like McGovern there to teach him that uh, could be beneficial. For $1.2 million, we've talked ad nauseum, Matt, about how this team needs O-line depth, I think McGovern makes a lot of sense as O-line depth. And I think it would be worth bringing him back for that reason. Uh, In terms of free agency, we did have two similar uh, contracts, like you said, for Tyron Smith and for Yisior Grossmatos at tackle and defensive end, respectively. Um, I went a little bit different in a couple different areas. Uh, We still both went and signed a guard. Um, You had Graham Glasgow. I had Dalton Reisner, formerly the Minnesota Vikings, uh, and the Denver Broncos before that. I think Reisner makes a lot of sense as someone who's been a very steadily average player since coming into the league, not too high, not too low, Um, hasn't really struggled with injuries, which I think is really key, and knows the scheme that the Jets are going to want to run, where formerly was in Denver, um, while Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach uh, on top of that, so is familiar with that scheme from firsthand experience from being under him in Denver a few years ago. And then he went to Minnesota this past year under Kevin O'Connell. That's another Shanahan-esque West Coast type of base of an offense with similar translatable you know, functions to what the Jets run under Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers, really. Um, so there's some scheme familiarity there. I have him for two years at about $11 million a year as a starting deal to come in and be the new starting left guard, replacing Lakin Tomlinson. Um, ability to get out in space and move and get out in the front on reach blocks as well. 
uh, think he's just a, a solid, steady presence that that left guard spot really, really needs. After that, uh, I have Tyler Boyd, the wide receiver from Cincinnati at two years for 20 million. Um, I've loved Tyler Boyd as a player for a long, long time. And I think he's been really underrated as a player for a long, long time. And he's going to be one of those guys uh, in a couple of years after he's retired or however long it is when people go back and look at his stats and it's like, oh, crap, Tyler Boyd caught like 40 or 50 touchdowns and and had, you know, 8000 yards receiving for a career or something. And everyone's like surprised that Tyler Boyd was that good. I think he he's just been really quietly good for a long time. Um, I think he'd be a great addition to this receiver room. You give someone with a lot of veteran savvy to teach Garrett Wilson some more, even more little tricks and, and ways to get open, I think is a dangerous thought. Somebody who's tough over the middle, who shows no fear, great catching balls in traffic, um, reliable, consistent, just a, a quarterback's best friend at wide receiver, really. And that's what he's been his entire career in Cincinnati, um, well before even Joe Burrow was there. So I would I would love to see him come in. I think he would be a big help. Uh, I did add a backup quarterback. Um, you had went with. Let me remind myself of who you had brought in. You had went with Sam Darnold, Darnold. Uh, which selfishly I think would be kind of cool because I have an old fourteen Sam Darnold Jets jersey sitting in the closet, and and what a story if I would be able to break that out after a three year uh, three year sabbatical uh, of hiding in the shame of the back corner of my closet and still have a relevant Jets jersey at the at the end of the day. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but I went a different direction. I went with Jameis Winston and I have Jameis Winston at one year for 3 million. Um, here's my thought process with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston has had starting experience. He's had success. Mates has had plenty of downs as well, but has certainly had flashes of success. And if you are trying to find that backup quarterback to come in and make the game still serviceable for you and still give you a chance to keep things afloat, I would bet on somebody with some physical talent. I would bet on somebody with the ability to make plays um, without having to have everything perfectly crafted and done for them. And like it or not, Jameis Winston has a ton of arm talent. I think he's grown a lot as a person and as a player the last couple of years being a backup in New Orleans. And I think that he is a an uplifting presence to bring to a team. I think there's a lot of forgotten aspect of how are people going to fit in the locker room? How are people going to fit with the rest of the players that are already on the roster? And I think Jameis would just come in and be somebody that everybody would gravitate towards and really get behind and kind of lift the spirits of the team as a whole. Uh, and I don't think they'd be in too horrible a shape if he had to start a game or two in an emergency situation. I just, I really like the fit of player and and person to team and the ability to say, okay, you know, worst case scenario, Rogers goes down. We have to trust in Jameis for this game or two. You know, you have somebody that you can still throw the ball down the field. That's still going to threaten defenses vertically. That's not going to have to change your offense into being a check down party. It's not somebody that you're going to have to completely and totally change your scheme. That isn't going to be able to handle anything technical or advanced. The guy's been in the league for eight, nine years now at this point from the 2015 draft, you know, about eight years or so. That's a long time to be in the NFL to learn how the NFL works under different coaches, different schemes, et cetera. You, you aren't going to have to dumb down your offense too much. Is it going to be Aaron Rodgers caliber? Of course not, but it's not going to be going from Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson. And I think that'll, that would be really important in terms of the mechanics of the offense. After Winston, uh, running back, I did add another running back to the room, just like you did with J.K. Dobbins. 
I like J.K. Dobbins a lot as a player. I'm just a little worried about the injury history. Um, that's kind of what turned me away more than anything else. I went with Josh Kelly, the running back from the Chargers. Uh, have him at one year for $2.3 million. Um, a guy that can come in that can fill a bunch of different roles that the Jets are going to need. Brees Hall is awesome. We all know this, but Brees Hall cannot be the only player or running back to ever see the field for the Jets. Eventually, the guy has to breathe. So I think you need to find ways to fill in and, and kind of give him some help. I think Kelly's a really, really underrated player. That's kind of become the number two uh, in uh, L.A. I almost said San Diego, but has become the number two in L.A. Uh, behind Austin Eckler has shown uh, improvement and decent ability in pass protection, is a good receiver, can run with power, can run with speed, can make explosive plays in the open field, can run through arm tackles, can be a goal linebacker, just kind of a do-it-all kind of, kind of guy that, that can fit into a bunch of different roles. And I think he would just be a good veteran, you know, back to add in as a running back two, running back three, whatever. Um, the guy's going to be helpful for you, and he's going to give you a, a veteran pass protector to come in and teach these younger running backs how to hold up and pass pro. I think that would be a really solid addition. After Kelly, uh, we did mention gross mottos for the same there. Last different free agency signing. I have uh, Lucas Patrick, who was the right guard for the Bears this past season, formerly the right guard for the Packers for a handful of years before that. I have him at one year for uh, 1.25 vet min as a backup uh, deal as a swing guard. Uh, somebody that's played with, Again, our coaching staff and knows this offense that isn't going to have to come in and learn the Aaron Rodgers scheme. He started 28 games between 2020 and 2021 for the Packers, um, all with Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers. And so I think that that is an important um, factor to where if this guy's your backup guard, backup right guard, left guard, or, or worst case scenario, your, your backup is already down and this guy's your third guard that's got to come in he already knows the offense again. He knows the checks. He knows what Rodgers is going to want to change to. He's got that familiarity and that chemistry to where you're not going to have to skip a beat. If one somebody goes down up front and you're not then throwing off the chemistry or your offensive line with somebody that doesn't know what the team is trying to do, uh, I think that's really important. That leaves me with about seven and a half million, give or take. Um, like you said, always good to have some stuff in the ba- uh, in the bank. Make sure if anybody comes surprisingly available in the summer that you can still be somewhat of a player. Also got to sign your draft class as well. So you never want to completely and totally empty the tank when it comes to cap space. Getting back to the trades of players uh, rather than the trades of picks. We both had Zach Wilson and Bryce Huff. I have Bryce Huff uh, specifically as a tagging trade. I think that's important to, to mention that you are trading Bryce Huff to a team under the tag with the assumption that that team is then going to extend him and that you are basically tagging Huff to with the thought that he is going to be moved. And if you're factoring that amount of money into the cap at one particular time, you know, eventually that money is going to be taken off your cap in the trade. I have Bryce Huff going to the Falcons one pick uh, after you had from the Vikings instead of 42. I have the Jets getting 43 back just like you would straight up pick swap. Uh, for a player swap. So Bryce Jet, Falcons get Bryce Huff, Jets get pick 43. Um, I would love to keep Bryce Huff. I really would. I, I wish there was a way that it made sense for the Jets to do it. And unfortunately, the benefit of getting a second round pick back, especially when you don't have one already, to free up the financial capability to not have to either cut JFM outright extend JFM or give him some crazy restructure that just throws a bunch of negative cap down the road in the future. 
to pay Bryce Huff now and in the future and take that money that you would be spending and flip it to a rookie second year contract over four years is the underrated aspect of this, where if you think of it from a transactional thought process, when the team is tight on cap space and in just a short amount of time are going to have a lot of really, really high value players asking for top of the line market contracts available to be re-signed. So I don't think it makes sense to keep Bryce Huff and do everything you can to keep Bryce Huff right now for this year and lose Sauce Gardner in two years or lose Garrett Wilson in two years or lose Brees Hall in two years or lose Jermaine Johnson in two years where all of these guys are going to be coming up and due for extensions right about the same time trying to fit in another massive signing on the defensive line when you already took a first round pass rusher with a very similar skill set in the top 15 just a year before it's again i love bryce huff i wish it made sense he's gonna be great for somebody else next season and that's the sad reality and i'm rooting for him and i hope he goes and tears up the league and people want to say jets are stupid for letting this guy go sure go ahead it just doesn't make sense for the rest of the team to keep him sorry that's just reality so they get 43 back from atlanta i have zach wilson going to denver um uh, interestingly but I don't think the Jets are going to get back as much as you had. You had there being a little bit of a pick swap included where they get back 137 and the Eagles get Zach, uh, the Jets pick at 252 and 253. I have Denver just getting Zach Wilson and the Jets getting back. And, and I'm going to stick to this. We had an argument over whether this was going to make <laughs> sense or, you know, it's dream off season, live a little. But especially after the comments from Woody today, I think the Jets are lucky to get peanuts for Zach Wilson. I have him going to Denver for a conditional 2026 seventh round pick that can become a sixth round pick if Zach Wilson is on the Broncos opening day 2025 roster, meaning that they will trade him this offseason. He will play one year in Denver. And at the conclusion of that one year in Denver going into 2025, the 2025 draft will have passed before opening day of 2025. If Opening day 2025, Zach Wilson is still on the Denver Broncos roster after a full season and a full offseason. Then that sixth round, seventh round pick in the following draft becomes a sixth round pick. I think the Jets are lucky to get even that. Personally, I, I really just don't see there being much, uh, much of a market, especially when the team is outright saying, we drafted this guy second overall two years ago. And when our starter went down that we had to find and get to replace the guy we drafted second overall two years ago, he was so bad. He wasn't even a backup for us and we didn't have a backup. Good luck. Like you said, expecting another team to try and come in and give you some amount of serious draft pick for that. Moving to the draft itself. Uh, we did have a very similar trade back. I have the jets trading the 10th overall pick and the 113th overall pick to Jacksonville for the 17th pick and the 48th pick. You had the jets just sending 10 getting back 17, 48 and a 2025 fourth. Uh, I think it might be a little more difficult for them to get as much in a trade up unless there's a quarterback that really falls, which is possible. But I don't know if Jacksonville is going to be the team that's going to take that quarterback. I went a little more conservative on the trade there. The Jets get back 17 and 48. And then later in the draft, I had the Jets trading again, same picks that get traded eventually. 252 and 253, I have them trading that to the Tennessee Titans for a slight trade up to get back in at 240. And I'll get to who they pick at 240 shortly. Uh, but I think that would be a, 
a good spot for them to swoop, uh, swoop in and get somebody that seems valuable to their needs. 17th overall in the first round after the trade with Jacksonville, we have the exact same player picked. That is J.C. Latham, the offensive tackle from Alabama. He is my offensive tackle three after Joe Alt and Olu Fashanu. Matt, I believe he's your OT four, if I'm remembering correctly. That is that you have Fuaga higher. Um, we have Latham and Fuaga swapped in our rankings, but a player we both think very, very highly of that we think could come in and be a day one starting right tackle really solidify the right side of that Jets line, allow AVT to stay at right guard where he's going to be best and really give Rogers a solid pass protector on the outside that you can rely on, even though he is a rookie uh, 43rd overall uh, and 48 overall. I'm going to do these as a pair as you did yours. We both had two pairs of pass catchers. Um, you went two wide receivers. I went a wide receiver and a tight end. I went with two Texas Longhorns specifically. At 43, I have Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver. And at 48, I have Jatavian Sanders, the tight end. Two guys that are both explosive as all get out, that can make plays after the catch, that play with an attitude and play with an edge, and I think would really bring an element of explosiveness to the Jets offense beyond just Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. Uh, Xavier Worthy's got like six rockets stuffed up his butt. I mean, this dude is so quick, so explosive, so fast in, in the open field. It is incredibly, incredibly difficult for any team to keep up with him. Because of that speed, teams give him cushions and DBs give him cushions basically at will, and then he eats underneath whenever he wants. It's from in terms of a play style and a how a defense respects his speed aspect, it's Tyreek Hillish in that no one wants to press him ever, even though he's not the best at getting off a of press and that with his body with his size being very, very, uh, I believe he's 5'10", about 170, 5'11", about 170, or, or just about that height. He's skinny. He's, he's light. He, if you get into his chest and you get into his frame, you're going to knock him off his path. It's going to be hard for him to get off that. But he's so fast and so explosive that every DB knows, well, if I do that and miss, it's a touchdown. And so they give him all of those cushions. I think he eats those alive. Having another player, like we've talked about a lot, Matt, puts fear into a defense that can stretch a defense vertically that can make a play 60 yards downfield on a go route or take a drag route 60 yards, you know, from a five yard pass and score. Those sort of guys are really, really valuable. And right now the Jets really only have one in Garrett Wilson. I think Brees Hall has the potential to get there as a receiver to where you're lining him up outside like McCaffrey and he's one-on-one with a linebacker and it's 65 yards down the field. See it later. But right now we haven't really seen much of that. And having a guy like Xavier Worthy in that spot, I think, would be great. Jatavian Sanders is one of my favorite players in this entire class. Um, This is a guy that just imposes his will on people and and plays with the I'm better than you mentality that, that I just love when guys know they are extremely talented and act like it. And some can call it cocky. Some can call it distracted. I call it being a dang good football player. And that if you know I'm the man, you know I'm I'm bigger than you, I'm faster than you, I'm stronger than you, and you're gonna I'm gonna make sure you know that by the end of the day. I love that, and and it shows up in Sanders' tape all the time. He is in uh, what's the I'm trying to think of the right descriptor, but he's almost an arrogant catcher of the football, where when the ball's coming in and it's coming towards him, he snatches it out of the air with such violence and and aggression. To where it's just like, yeah, this is my ball. I'm taking it. You threw it at me. It's my ball now. It's mine. 
DB trying to come and, and get into my frame and knock this pass away? No, go away. I'm bigger. I'm snatching this ball. It's mine. He's incredibly explosive as well. Incredibly quick, can get into the seams, can scare defenses vertically. Again, another person that can make some threats down the field. Has a little bit of room to clean up as a blocker when he's going against defensive linemen. But when this guy gets up on a linebacker or God forbid he gets on a corner or safety, it's it's destruction. It's nightmare time for whatever defender he's running into at full speed. And, and that willingness, that that again, that thought process of I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and you're going to feel it. The, the effort that he blocks with, I think, is a reason to believe he can get better going against defensive lineman in the future. And not that he's bad. And it's not a situation where every time he gets blocked, matched up with a defensive end, he's going to lose. But you definitely see him be better at blocking other players throughout um, in the secondary further than the defensive line. Uh, if you remember, Matt, I said the exact same thing about Dalton Kincaid last year. Where Look at him now. As, and look at him now. Exactly. I think Jatavian Sanders and Dalton Kincaid are very, very similar from a play style standpoint and, and are very similar from a usage standpoint. I think he'd be a great tight end, too, to go ahead and replace Uzama. I'm, I'm kind of out on Ruckert, I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm still waiting to see that improvement. I think he took a lot of steps backwards this past season and had one better than average game and a lot of games that were pretty rough. Um, so I'm not sitting here ready to pigeonhole and hit Ruckert in as the tight end, too, and say, yep, you're good. We don't need another tight end. I think if Sanders is there at 48 and you have 40, uh, 48, it's an easy decision. Moving right along, the second uh, of two picks that we had the same in this draft, that would be Christian Haynes, the offensive guard from Connecticut, a guy we both love. We've both talked about a couple of times now. Another person with that I'm better than you attitude, that I'm going to put you in the dirt. I'm going to throw you to the ground. I'm going to violently throw you to the ground. And after I do it, I'm going to stand over you and make sure you know I just threw you into the ground. Plays with quickness off the ball, can get out and make reach blocks in space, can get out and and show some power and down block, create space at the line of scrimmage. Just a a really, really solid guard with with a mean streak that this line needs. And I think it's interesting, Matt. Both of us have situations where he doesn't need to play right away. That neither of us have him set to be an outright starter. We both found guards uh, and left guards and free agency to replace Lakin and have tackles and uh, Tipman at center to where ABT can stay at right guard. I think if you can draft Christian Sanders in the third round and he doesn't have to start for you right away, that you've done your job at improving this offensive line. And that that is a, a really good situation to be in. Um, give it a year, give it two years, and I think he does start for you. And it's only a matter of time before he's one of your starting guards. After that, 113th overall. Um, I have a very, very interesting player that I have not talked about this show yet, on this show yet, but somebody I'm very excited to talk about as we go through the next couple of months. Ray Davis, the running back from Kentucky. Um, this is a player that I got onto late. I hadn't done much scouting of the running backs this past year because my favorite guy, uh, Travion Henderson, decided to go back to school uh, at Ohio State. So I haven't had too much attention paid to this running back room. And just recently, if I started getting into it, knowing for this episode, I wanted to find a mid-round running back to add to this group. And the two guys that I got down to in the spot were Ray Davis and Marshawn Lloyd from USC. And Marshawn Lloyd's a really, really fun player. His speed and acceleration and agility is, is real. He's a guy that could come in and be that second Brees Hall, that spell that 
can be that same explosive outside runner. And just because Brees Hall is in the game, you still have a guy that can take it for 60 or 70. Marshawn Lloyd is going to make a team very happy. But the Jets just drafted that guy last year in Izzy Abanaconda. And so they don't need a third explosive outside finesse runner, for lack of a better word. You know, they need some power. They need somebody that they can hand the ball in short yardage and say, put a shoulder through somebody and go get the first down. They need somebody that when they get on the two yard line, that it doesn't have to be Reese Hall being the only one taking a pitch play and diving from the two and knocking somebody over and going over the goal line and getting a score. They need somebody that can, again, add in a little bit more nastiness onto this team. And that's Ray Davis uh, at Kentucky. He's 5'11, he's 227 pounds, incredibly, incredibly thickly built, um, has played a lot of football. That's kind of the, the, the difference and the interesting point with Ray Davis. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly, but I'll look this up. He had played at Vanderbilt before going to Kentucky and had played at a different school before that. I believe Temple. I'm going to go ahead and confirm that uh, right now. Yes, so he played 44 career games, 16 at Temple, 15 at Vanderbilt, and 13 in Kentucky. He is the only player in Division I college football to ever rush for 1,000 yards at three different schools. Hmm. And that, to me, is, is some very, very impressive consistency to go to three very different places and three very different offensive schemes and still be productive and still be a 1,000-yard back. I think that is a really, really special and unheard of, as he's the only one in D1 to ever do it. And when you watch Ray Davis on film, this guy impressed me and surprised me so much, more so than the fact that he's, you know, 5'11", uh, 5'10", about 220 pounds, and plays like it, runs with power, isn't afraid to put his shoulder down, isn't afraid to do the dirty work and, and, and run through arm tackles and be that power back. But he's so explosive and so quick. His feet are so just buttery, and he's got this ability in the open field to make cuts like you would expect from a guy that's 195 pounds and not 220. And I love that about him. He's got speed to, to finish runs down the field. He's not just a, you know, a big plotter where he's going to get inside and, and he's going to run four, six from his third step to his last step. You know, he's got some burst to him. He's got some juice down the field. He had a breakaway run against Florida um, earlier this season. It was like a 65 yard touchdown. You don't run away from people in the SEC like that unless you got some amount of speed to you as well. And last but not least, this dude is an awesome pass catcher. Mm hmm. He's got great hands. He runs great routes. He tracks the ball well. He's another guy that can be a weapon in the pass game. And I think you add him to this group that gives you a running back room of Brees Hall, Josh Kelly, Izzy Abanaconda, and Ray Davis. You have four guys that can all be explosive, that can all run to the outside and create plays up the field, that can all have a little bit of power behind them and run with some attitude, and that all can be factors in the receiving game. You very much, you know, regardless of who's taking snaps for you at running back in that situation, have to change your offense or or change what you want to do because you don't have our receiving back is in or, oh, it's, you know, it's the goal line and Brees Hall's tired. Who's going to take the ball? You, you have other people that can kind of make that that play happen. I, I really love Ray Davis. He's my running back one as of right now. Um, and I think that 113, this is about the range the Jets like to draft running backs. Uh, under Joe Douglas, Michael Carter, I think might have been taken at 113 exactly. 
um, if I'm remembering correctly. If it wasn't 113, it might have been like 108, 104, close somewhere in that range. Izzy was like 126, uh, somewhere in the 120s. This is really where, besides Brees Hall, this is really where the Jets like running backs. I think Ray Davis would fit in perfectly. 186, I have Walter Ruse, the OT from Oklahoma. Left tackle opposite Tyler Guyton, uh, everybody's senior bowl darling at right tackle. A guy we talked about after our senior bowl show as a bookend comparative to Guyton that we think is getting overlooked a little bit. A guy that we like a lot. Not the best athlete, but very attentive, very aware. Knows what to do in pass protection, knows how to, to reset his hands, isn't scared of being initially beaten, can recover, can play through the entirety of the down. And I think that's really important for tackles is just because you lose early doesn't mean you've lost for good. And the guys that can be stone walls for the most part, and when they do lose, have an answer to get back in the play and recover, that's really important. Roost does a good job at that. A bit worried about his athleticism and his overall ceiling, but a 186, again, as a depth piece, is another player. To put it tackle, to learn behind some of the veterans that we'll bring in, and to learn behind guys like Latham that, although they're young, are extremely talented themselves, I think Ruse would be a really good fit there. Next, I have the trade with the Tennessee Titans from 252 and 253 to 240. Uh, that is going to be for Fabian Lovett, the defensive tackle at Florida State. Uh, Lovett's a guy that popped out to me when I was watching Jermaine Johnson a few years ago. And I fell in love with JJ's tape. And while I'm watching JJ and every bit of you know him that I can see over that season at FSU, I keep going, who the heck is number zero on, on Florida State's defensive line? And why is this guy meeting JJ at the ball almost every play? And that was Fabian Lovett. And I really don't understand how Fabian Lovett is not getting talked about more. I, maybe I missed something with an injury. Maybe I missed something with a season of play in between when JJ was a rookie in this next season because he's an older prospect. But he, he's a seventh round pick basically everywhere you look right now. And I really don't understand how uh, this is a nose tackle with three tech range where primarily that's where he's going to play. He's going to be that nose tackle. He's going to be on the inside. He's going to be eating up space. He's not necessarily the best penetrator, but I think he's better at it than he gets credit for. And he's got just the raw power to hold his ground and worst case scenario, just walk people back into the quarterback. And then you see a play happens where a run goes to the outside and he chases them down from a zero tech to and meets them, the running back at the edge and cleans up on a tackle like three or four yards downfield. And it's that same sort of effort and explosion and pursuit speed that I loved with JJ. I think Lovett has a lot of that as well. I really got to go back and get into his tape over the last couple of years because when I was watching JJ two years ago, I was going Fabian Lovett. That looks like a top 75, top 50 pick. And we got to be keeping an eye on him uh, in short order. And now we get to the point where he's draft eligible and he's barely in the seventh round. So I'm either I'm finding a gem or I'm missing something huge. Um, and I don't know exactly what's going on. Last but not least, final draft pick 256. This is where I think they get their developmental quarterback uh, for my side of the stream offseason. That's Devin Leary, the quarterback from Kentucky, uh, formerly at NC State, started his career there, played some awesome, awesome football as a, a freshman and a sophomore was a guy that was widely considered as a future first round pick, possible future number one overall pick hype as it goes that many years out in advance and just kind of fell off uh, as the years went on. Goes and transfers to Kentucky this past offseason and Kentucky's a solid football team and Devin Leary's leading them to be a solid football team. 
and I really, really like this guy's moxie. I, I like his mm-hmm. arm talent. Yeah. He's got he's got a really big arm. Um, he's not scared to throw the ball down the field. He's confident and can make plays in traffic. I love that aspect to him. I think he hangs tough in the pocket. Uh, he isn't scared of getting hit. I think he moves well. He's a good athlete on top of that. And again, this is a guy that I really need to dig into more and see why they've fallen as far as they have. Because I really, really liked Devin Leary and thought he was going to be, uh, thought he was going to be something seriously special uh, a couple of years ago. And again, now it's you're a seventh round pick. You're lucky to maybe even get drafted. And I really don't understand why. So that's my draft class, top to bottom. J.C. Latham, offensive tackle from Alabama. Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver at Texas. Jadavian Sanders, the tight end from Texas. Christian Haynes, the guard from UConn. Ray Davis, the running back from Kentucky. Waltz Roos, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Fabian Lovett, the defensive tackle from Florida State. And Devin Leary, the quarterback from Kentucky. Uh, Matt, before I go through the whole final roster, any comments you want to add in? Uh, and then we'll get to the whole shebang. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I really love your Jatavian Sanders pick. Um, if we're not, you know, at double dipping at wide receiver, getting him is a very good get. Uh, when defenders make business decisions when they see him with the ball, uh, having that kind of presence. On yeah, the field. I didn't even mention that, but the guy is like a mutant with the ball in his hands. Yeah, <laughs> like that, it's probably the best aspect of his game. And I didn't even bring it up, and I'm kind of mad about at, at myself to be completely and totally honest. <laughs> It's it is like the guy catches the ball and turns into the Hulk. It's something to see. It's really impressive. I mean, yeah, he needs to work on his blocking, but you know what? That can come in time. And as a weapon, I think he'll contribute right away. Um, Ray Davis, that pick. I love that pick, too. Uh, Like, I think you called him very buttery smooth with his movements. Uh, And I can I completely agree with that. The way he can move laterally and not lose any speed. Right. Uh, at 220. Cuts at 220. Yeah. And yeah, he's he's got the power. He will run through you. He will run through arm tackles. You have to really be uh, a solid defender and really hit him square to really bring him down. Um, and yeah, that explosion too, uh, where you can see. He'll break into the open field, but then hit in another gear and then run away mm-hmm. from everybody. Uh, he's a very impressive running back. And at 113, that's great value. Uh, and Devin Leary, that's another guy I really like while watching uh, Ray Davis. Uh, yeah, his pocket presence really impressed me. He would have guys falling around his feet. He doesn't get scared. He just stays strong, keeps his eyes downfield, and he's got a decent arm to really hit any throw. Outside the numbers, he'll hit people in stride downfield. Uh, he can put it on the numbers when he needs to. He's got a lot to work with there. And as far as a developmental quarterback, I think you could do a whole lot worse. Uh, and at 256, that's also great value. Uh, we both decided to kind of attack the offensive line similar- similarly. Uh, we took different paths, but you know what? I think they're both formidable offensive lines. Um, and something that uh, I think would help us uh, tremendously going forward as far as reliability along the offensive line. Uh, I, I, I really like what you got there. If I were to like nitpick, I would say I like Fabian Lovett as a developmental defensive tackle, but at the same time, we were struggling so much 
as uh, when it came to run defense that I kind of want a little bit more uh, reliability there and somebody that has a little bit more uh, expertise uh, when it comes to this year. Uh, love it. I'm, I think he could definitely develop into a guy that can grow next to, to Quinnen and be a formidable team with him. Uh, but with our defense, it, it usually takes a year to get really up to speed mm-hmm. to, to where we need them. Um, and when we're, since we're going to need that run defense right away, I would just lean more towards a vet than, than, uh, than love it. And that's about yeah. it. I, I, no, I love right everything else. That's why I loved your Grover Stewart sign so much for, for the exact reasons that you just said, where, like I mentioned before, this is not the off season where you can absolutely perfectly fill in every gap you could think of exactly how you want it. This is not the off season where, where you have, where you're having to choose between a bunch of good options. There's going to be some things that you leave on the table that you have to sacrifice for, for other spots. And, and that was one for me where I looked through the defensive tackle market and free agency and was committed to bringing back Quentin Jefferson, even if as a pass rush specialist, but was still open to looking and finding kind of the Al Woods replacement of, of who's going to be that main early down guy. And Grover Stewart was somebody that I wanted to include really bad. And I just couldn't fit it in with, with the money that I had given. You would kind of went cheaper at receiver with Josh Reynolds. And that kind of opened the door for you to get Grover Stewart on top of that. I went a bit bigger at receiver for Tyler Boyd and kind of chose the, the better receiving talent over the ability to have a defensive tackle as a starter as well. But no, I would Grover Stewart to fill that role that you're describing would be excellent. And it would allow Lovett to develop a little bit more than he probably would if he were to be added in the situation where there's going to be a handful of guys in front of him that don't really have anything set in stone and the door is open for somebody to kind of step up. So I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Another guy you, you took, Walter Roos uh, from Oklahoma. I think we both watched Guyton and then Roos and we're like, you know what, Roos at times looks a lot more reliable than Guyton. Uh, and he, I, I completely agree. And I don't see him very early in a lot of people's big boards. Um, and having him as just a solid backup guy, uh, you, you mentioned his low ceiling, but you know what? Having somebody that's reliable and solid as depth is, is a good thing. Right, right. You draft Walter Roos in that spot with the expectation that he becomes a backup tackle for you, not that he's going to be your starter. And I think that's the the important difference that a lot of people get lost in the idea that every player you draft needs to eventually play starting contributing roles and reps for you. And sometimes you just need to draft guys who are going to be backups. And that's perfectly okay. And that's called building a solid team and having depth to where if you have somebody that's injured a year and a half from now, You've already had a guy in the wings that you drafted a couple of years ago that's been in your scheme, that's learned your offense, that knows every little bit of what you could be hoping for so that when they get a time to actually get up and play, they have less of a learning curve than somebody that you just signed off the street last week to fill in the role or somebody that you just signed when you keep shuffling out your backup offensive linemen in free agency every year, then you're always having to teach guys the scheme brand new all over again one after another, and that's how you get to confusion and a lack of cohesion up front, even when you have injuries. That's why teams like the Ravens or the 49ers or whoever else or the Eagles can suffer injuries on their offensive line, 
can can deal with the same sort of problems that every other team deals with and their line doesn't get worse because they already have plans in place and guys in place who are ready to go. Um, Guyton and Roos are like Jackal and Hyde, where it's like Roos's athletic ceiling is very limited, but technically he does a lot well. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's aware. He knows how to recover. He doesn't have that panic when beaten. And Guyton is, I am all athlete. I am six foot seven. I'm 320 pounds. I look like Tyron Smith. I have long arms. You know, I'm just going to be this stalwart on the blind side with the ability to mirror you as a rusher, barely even trying uh, and shuffling my feet and not get off balance. But my hands are terrible. My pad level is terrible. You're going to get into my chest all the time. And if I get knocked back, it's tough for me to then anchor and recover and get back into the play. They're literally like opposites. And I think a lot of people are missing Roos because they're caught up in watching the athletic marvel that is Tyler Guyton. Um, and they're, they're kind of just locking in on him and missing the guy on the other side that's played some pretty good football, too. Yep, I can agree more. I mean, Guyton, I see a lot there that can turn into uh, an excellent starter. Uh, but yeah, like you said, there's just a lot that needs to be fixed and polished. Uh, to really get to that position. And Roos just kind of offers a little bit more polish at this point. Uh, and 2024 should all be about reliability. We need as much reliable talent yep. on that field as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 110%. Uh, looking at the final roster for what I have at quarterback, we have Aaron Rodgers, Jameis Winston, and Devin Leary. Running back, Brees Hall, Ray Davis, Izzy Abanaconda, and Josh Kelly. Wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, Tyler Boyd, Xavier Worthy, Alan Lazard, Xavier Gibson, uh, Jarvis Brownlee, and Irv Charles. Tight end, I have Tyler Conklin, Jatavian Sanders, Jeremy Ruckert, and Kenny Yaboa. Uh, left tackle, right tackle, whoever it ends up being, but left tackle for this argument. I have Tyron Smith, Carter Warren, and Walter Roos. Left guard, I have Dalton Reisner, Christian Haynes, and Wes Schweitzer. Center, I have Joe Tittman and Connor McGovern. Right guard, Elijah Vera Tucker and Lucas Patrick. Uh, right tackle, J.C. Latham and Max Mitchell. Defensive end, JFM, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Will McDonald, Michael Clemens, and Gross Matos. DT, Quinnen Williams, Quinton Jefferson, Solomon Thomas, Fabian Lovett, Tanzel Smart. Linebacker will be the same four linebackers in C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, Jamie and Sherwood, and Zaire Barnes. The only position group that neither of us touched. His linebacker, yeah. His linebacker. Those were that is the only group that had stayed the same before. That we did not make any cuts or transitions to that the guys that we had on the active roster last year, the same ones that we got coming in. Cornerback, I have Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, uh, Michael Carter the second, Jared Bernard Converse, Brandon Eccles, and Justin Hardy at safety, Ashton Davis, uh, Tony Adams, Chuck Clark, and then Greg Zerline at kicker and Thomas Morstead at punter to wrap things up. I think these are both solid teams that I would be more Absolutely. than happy with uh, going into the season. But like the, we said in the beginning, these are our dream scenarios. Uh, there's probably a lot that's going to go wrong uh, when the real thing starts to happen. Uh, whether it's people don't want to come here or other teams just snatch them up. There's a lot of teams with a lot of money out there that also want talent like these guys. Uh, so it's going to be a crapshoot for whether we can do even half of what we kind of put out there. Uh, but if we can even get that amount of solid players, uh, I think we'll be in good shape. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I, I really think so too. Like you said, um, I would be happy with either of these groups. Uh, I really think that given the situation the Jets are in, given the amount of money they've had to start with, the amount of draft picks that we've that they've had to start with, uh, if they could come close to either of these, I think that's a successful offseason. And that's a team that should be ready to go and compete for something going into 2024. Completely agree. All right, Matt, let's wrap this up real quick with some fun Super Bowl predictions as our final game is just a few days away. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and start. Let's just not get too crazy. Um, winner, final score, and you know, kind of how the game goes a little bit. So I think that Mahomes is going to be Mahomes. He's going to really shine and have his moment. Uh, you're going to have Taylor and Kelsey, you know, doing their thing. Uh, and they're going to keep it. They're going to be in it. They're not going to, there's no way that this is that. I think any team is going to really blow anybody out. Uh, I think that the 49ers offense has too many weapons. Their defense is too good to really let, uh, Kansas city roll away with it. And Kansas city's defense is very underrated. Uh, and I do think that they will also keep uh, it a minute. So maybe not the highest scoring of games. Uh, I'm going to say 21 to 17 49ers. Okay. You have a 49ers victory, a close game with a 49ers victory. Um, I'm on the opposite end myself Mm. here. Um, I think the chiefs are going to win this game. I think the chiefs win by two scores. Um, I, I think 49ers fans should be very, very concerned about what the Lions did to their defense in the first half of the NFC Championship game. And I think if anybody in the world thinks that's not all of what Andy Reid has spent the last week and a half going over, is what did the Lions do to just completely and totally overwhelm the the 49ers defense to open that game, then I think people are crazy. Um, Mahomes is going to be Mahomes, but my X factor for this game is Isaiah Pacheco. I think Pacheco is going to run wild. I think that he is going to be their focal point early in the game, establish a presence up front, force the Niners to have to respect the run game and not just be worried about Mahomes in the passing game. And once that happens, then Mahomes takes over. Um, I still think the 49ers are going to make some plays. I do think they're going to get close to getting back into it eventually. I have it as a 27-16 Chiefs win. That's not bad. Uh, who has, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to go through uh, Super Bowl histories to see. Uh, I, I do believe the 49ers have a, a good amount more than the Chiefs as far as uh, Niners wins. have five. The Chiefs, I believe they only have Three? The two that Mahomes has won. Did they win one before that? I think they've won one before that. Did Len uh, Dawson win a Super Bowl? I, I, I want to say yes. I think it was. I think you're right about the, that. It might have been in the 60s or, or, or the 70s. Uh, but I, 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 like, I like teams that haven't won a lot of Super Bowls to win. And they have the, the top groups, the Patriots, the, the Steelers, the 49ers of the world uh, to really be knocked down a peg. Uh, but I, I still got to take the 49ers here. Yeah, no, I, listen, I could definitely see the 49ers winning this game if they can stop the run up front early. If McCaffrey could go off and do McCaffrey things, Purdy plays a clean game um, like he didn't to start the game. You know, the, the Niners can absolutely win this game. I don't think that's I don't think that's unreasonable whatsoever. But 
they're dealing with some injuries right now. Uh, there's questions on whether Brandon Ayuk's going to be able to play after he showed up on the injury report midweek uh, with an ankle. Um, it was limited today in practice. There's the whole just idea of the Chiefs that I think is is so underrated in that they always have another person to go to. Is that even when like this was supposed to be the down year for Mahomes and the Chiefs and they're in the Super Bowl again. It's like, okay, we're going to try Isaiah Pacheco to start. If that doesn't work, well, we'll go ahead and try Travis Kelsey. That doesn't work. We got Rasheed Rice. If that doesn't work, we got Sky Moore. If that doesn't work, Mahomes is just going to chuck it up to MVS, and that's going to work. And and God forbid that doesn't work. All else fails. Our defense is loaded with killers, and Spagnuolo is a psychopath who's going to completely and totally come up with a crazy game plan to try and confuse Purdy, and it's not just going to be a static vanilla defense. I just... Personally, I think the Chiefs are going to are, are going to win, and I I think it's going to be at least a two score win. I just don't see. I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners win. Don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm really really worried that Isaiah Pacheco busts off a couple of long runs in the first quarter, and that's all it's going to take for the Niners defense to come falling apart. I saw a crazy stat the other day. I don't know if this is real or not. I I, I didn't really look into uh, the validity of this that. Mahomes has thrown 50-something interceptions that have been called back uh, for penalties. Uh, and then the second... Yeah, I remember seeing something similar about that. And the person in second place is Josh Allen with eight. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, I, I know Mahomes likes to chuck it up and probably leads to a lot of past interferences, but still, that, that seems like a crazy amount. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting to try and and go and verify that statistic, um, because that's that's a pretty hard thing to go and verify when you don't have stats on record. You'd have to be going through game logs um, uh, on on NFL Plus and looking through all all twenty two and waiting to pull up a play to see exactly what happened. That's uh, that is a lot of an undertaking, uh, and so I, I question the validity of that stat a little bit, to be completely honest. But if it is remotely true, it definitely is interesting. And while a difference of 50 in first place to eight in second place would be way too wide of a margin to have some amount of a, you know, discernible reason besides referee favoritism, um, I do think there is something to the point that Mahomes knows when to throw it up to get PI. And this is something that he's, in my opinion, one of the best at in the entire league where if your back is turned, if you're a DB and your back is turned, Mahomes is going to throw the ball at you and he doesn't care. Everything else is secondary. It's like, you can't see it. Cool. I'm chucking it up and either my receiver is going to adjust and catch it, or you're going to play the receiver and you're not going to look for the ball and they're going to call PI. Like that is a skill. And I really don't think anybody in the league does it better than Mahomes. So I, I would say that there is, I wouldn't be surprised if the if that ended up being true that Mahomes leads the league in that. I don't know if it's, it's probably 50 a to lot eight. less. Though. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's fifty to eight personally, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's towards the top of the league in that. And while I'm sure the NFL wants to see the Chiefs succeed in one way, shape, or form, uh, I do think that there's a bit of skill aspect that's lost with that. Yeah this this year has been plagued by horrible refereeing, so. I hope that at least it could end on a positive note where the referees don't have that big of an impact on the conclusion of the game. That's what we're all hoping for. Uh, that I know for, for a certain fact. 
Uh, Matt, I think that does it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by and tuning in. Of course, why don't we let the people know where they can find you? We can get on out of here. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you all one more time for tuning in, and we will be back next week to continue breaking down this offseason. Get ready for the Combine in just a short while after the Super Bowl. Thank you all one more time for stopping by, and we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.